Kalechi. It is so nice to see you. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good to see you too. I am doing good. Um, I'm so glad we have an uh, opportunity today to just talk about all sorts of cool stuff. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, you know, one of the places I want to start, though, because we were just talking about this, so I think it's a great place to kind of pick up, is... So we've both had this happen. I had it most recently where somebody said, um, oh, come and speak at this conference or come do this event with us. We need somebody who's black and and you're black. <laughs> Can you come and speak? And I'm thinking- Were they that explicit about it? Yeah, they were a bit oh, explicit. They were a bit explicit. Wow. And I know, I know. At first I was kind of like, oh, well, and look at you trying to be all like culturally competent, you know? Yay. And I don't know. How do you, what do you think about stuff like that? So interesting. Well, I usually get the more covert ask of like, you know, we're really trying to expand the conversation and like, I have people dance around it. (laughs) I have not actually like, we need a black person check the box. Um, But I have I, you know, I have heard that in so many words, you know, I think it's one of those challenging experiences where you both want someone to, yes, be more inclusive. Why do you always have the same five white folks presenting all of the time? We do need to have diverse experiences and all of those things. But it, I mean, honestly, it can feel really tokenizing when you're not involved in the planning or the conversations or it's different if someone invites you to dream with you and create something versus last minute. Oh shoot. We, we didn't check the box. We need a black person. It looks too white. And there's a very different feeling when someone is like dream with me and let's create something versus, uh Oh, we're going to get like cancel culture. We need to like plug you in real quick. I, I can, I just feel mm. really different. Yeah. Um, the intent is different. Yeah. It does feel a little, it feels a little ooky. Is that a word? It is I mean, now. it can be. Like, let's it, make it a word. It's it is easy. now. It feels a little ooky, and I'm trying to meet people where they are and help them get to that stuff that you just said, which is generally, oh, okay, um, let me see if I can help you out. And when we do this in the future, is it possible for folks to be involved in the planning to help you think about, like, who's going to be on that panel and the panel to work together from beginning until the day of presentation versus kind of saying, yeah, I'll do it and then walk away, which there's no learning there, right? Yeah, there's this really cool educator um, who um, does, like, diversity, equity, inclusion work, and he says, diversity without decision making is tokenism. Mm. You can't, oh, hi, welcome, you're here. But that hasn't actually changed the conversation. I don't have any choice in this. We're not designing anything together. So it's kind of like, okay, your first step is to be inclusive. Like, let's back up. Where were you in the planning? And I've heard this from some of the indigenous folks I've worked with who get called at the very last minute. Oh, shoot, we need a land acknowledgement. Girl, what you doing tomorrow? Like, how disrespectful is that? Um, What is, you know, oh, now we're all talking about land. So now we need you because like, that's the thing that we need to do now without having those larger conversations about like reparations or how are you giving land back? It's like, oh no, we need to kind of plug and play. So it's, I think it's, how do you expand so it doesn't feel tokenizing? Right, right. Wow. I had not heard that it's like, oh, come do the land acknowledgement. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. That's horrible. They do a two-minute two land acknowledgement, mm, and then they're gone. No, that, that that's is, inclusivity. That, that is, okay, that's not cool. 
So talking about that kind of stuff too, it makes me think of the book that you edited, which I so love. We're just going to go there right now. Oh, um, oh let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. We're going to, we're going to get on the fast train, the Acela, and we're just going to go there. Oh, we're not a train. We're not train people in California. So we're getting on the fast train. It's called it's the cool. Acela. We're on the East Coast at one point. Yeah. We yes. Were, if you're on the East, on East Coast, Coast, you know what I'm point. talking about. But um, so you um, edited this book, which I love the title. Uh, We've Been Too Patient, Voices from Radical Mental Health. And when I read, first of all, I love the title. It's like, yeah, we have been too patient, damn it. You know, we've been patient and we're too patient to be patients anymore. But the, the term that always got me too in this is the term radical. And what does that mean when you say like radical? That's so funny. So this book, We've Been Too Patient, which came from me and my co-editor, L.D. Green, um, they actually made the title the funny thing is that people will, I will use the word radical. And some people are like, that's just choice. You should just give people choice and voice in their decision-making. And I'm like, you know, if you're in a system that doesn't believe that you're even a person who should have choice, that is radical. So for some people, this book is not radical at all. For some people, it is so radical. And it's also the way we talk about mental health, right? So we have folks who still, you know, who use language like I, like mental illness and, and that's their language that they connect to. And then you have folks who are like, I'm neurodivergent and I don't really subscribe to that language or I, I claim madness and um, my, what people call a disease, I, I see as a dangerous gift, right? So there's, I mean, it's across a spectrum. And the thing is, what I love about this book is we don't all agree with each other, except for we do agree that we should have choice and voice and how we're identified and how we're treated. That's the only place where there's like collective agreement. Mm. How we identify is very, very different. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I, that, that is one of the things that has gotten me kind of in the sort of the mental health consumer, ex-patient, peer, survivor. You know, there's so many, it's like how many we're going to add on to kind of uh, uh, recognize the different space in which we occupy within the quote unquote movement. And I think you're really hitting something on the head is we don't have any agreement and nor, nor should we. It's almost like meeting people where they are and understanding and articulating um, what is happening to them and the reaction of others to what's happening to them. You know, I, I used to tell people when I was with the advocacy organization and they wanted to have meetings on if they should call it consumers or something else. And I'm thinking... I don't know that we had meetings about, is it Negro, colored, Black, Afro-American, mm. African-American? I don't remember some groups coming up and going, <laughs> we should really have a six-month meeting to come up with the term. Oh that." Da, 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 da. And I said, and at the end of the day, even when the terms are changed, if there's a collective understanding that this is now the best term to use to refer to Black folk, people are still going to discriminate against me. I don't care what you call me, you know? Um, and the important thing is maybe how I want to identify myself and like the foundational thing that you're talking about, which is voice and choice, no matter what you call it. Oh, absolutely. This just reminds me of, and this is something that happens to me in the Bay area a lot where I said something like, Oh, you know, I'm black. And someone, I had someone white, correct me and say, no, it's actually African-American. And I was like, I am. Did you just like, I was so stunned that someone was like, Oh no, that's, we don't use that word it's offensive. I'm like, I literally am telling you how I'd like to identify as the only person who is of this identity. And you're telling me, Oh, no, that's not woke enough. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, black is actually more inclusive. Uh, yeah. 
So that's why I use that language. And I don't shame anyone who uses African-American, but it's just this idea that it has to be certain, like, like all of these names or these identities become radicalized as opposed to like meet somewhere where they're at. Yeah. And maybe over time, they might not say they're broken or use language that to me feels hurtful. But if that's where they're at, I didn't use the same language I'm using 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I definitely was like, oh, I have this illness and this is what I am. And okay. And now I would never use that language, but am I going to shame? I think of that person who just found out like, oh, wow, mental health is real. I, I'm really identifying with like what's happening with me. Am I going to shame that person? Yeah, yeah, is that helpful? Yeah. Is that helpful? Oh, you, you ain't woke enough for me. <laughs> we use this word. I'm like, nah, you've missed the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do, I do have this sort of moment where if somebody says, oh, I'm schizophrenic, quote unquote, I, I have this yeah. moment of, oh, I do too. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know what? That's where they are. I will use the language that is comfortable for me. And maybe they'll hear language that. Uh, when when they kind of move to that level, they might adopt. Now, uh, you know, this one guy had told me um, the other term I kind of have moments about. I'll call them cringeworthy. Let's just be honest. For me, they yeah, are cringeworthy. I, I'm not even going oh, to sit here. We're, we're going to be unapologetic, right? Oh, um, <laughs> so for me, for me, these might be cringeworthy moments when somebody says, um, "Am I functioning?" Oh. And I'm just like the inside of me is cringing but I know they're trying to communicate something about themselves where they have this language and that's the language they've heard or, uh, you know, defines um, how they're doing in their life at this time when before maybe they were not doing that well at all. And I had told a guy, we were having this conversation, he's an African-American guy. I said, um, uh, high functioning, that's, can we use different language? And he goes, no, I don't want to use different language. It's really important to me because it means that I'm doing so much better than when I was out there on the streets and I was running around naked and I kept getting picked up by the police. Mm. I'm not that person. I'm now this person. Oh, he shut my mouth. Oh yeah. <laughs> Meaning he was like, I was like, okay, okay, this, this word to him means I'm not that. So now I have to use this word or phrase with him because it has this strong meaning for him at this time. So that's how I learned how to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say the word forgiving because I don't, it's not anything to forgive, but certainly more understanding and meeting people where they are in their language versus imposing that they should accept my language. That's an imposition. It is. It is. But you know, it's so fun. It's so funny that you mentioned that, like, that high function word has always been something I've struggled with because that is how I've been labeled. And that is how I've been dismissed and erased is like, Oh, you can't possibly be struggling because you're, you are so high functioning. And I just would always be like, no, I'm struggling just because I don't look like a lifetime movie does not mean that I'm not struggling. If I'm telling you I'm struggling, that actually means I'm on fire. Cause for me, you know, being raised by a single black woman, there was just, ways in which we acted in public. And I just come from a culture that just, I don't know, the way I present might look different for some folks, you know, and this is not that I speak for everyone, but I've always got that label and it always erased me when I was trying to get support. Cause it's like, ah, you're fine. And you know, I'm a, I'm a suicide attempt survivor. So I'd have to, like, I, when I'd have to get help, I'd be like, look, here are the things that have happened to me to like, almost have to like advocate, like I present well, you call me high functioning. I am more likely to X, Y, and Z. So pl- then they're like, oh, I guess we should listen to her. But I'm like, why do I need like a 20 minute 
intro yes to let's yes. have you believe me so anyways high you, functioning you need to toys. bring your cv <laughs> here's my presentation on <laughs> my experience White. yeah well you know that's some of the stuff that you know you covered particularly in the book um and some of your i think it was in the poem right um yeah uh, when i'm crazy i'm oh, not crazy she, tell me the she wasn't crazy she wasn't crazy. I, I just read that and I was like, yes, yes, she wasn't crazy. When you have to convince people that you are just not well. And then if you're a strong black woman. Oh, man. Oh, child. Forget about it. Mm. Like, aren't you a superhero? Yeah, what? <laughs> aren't you a superhero? No, we're unapologetically black unicorns. Seriously. Let's get it, right. get it right. But I talk about putting my horn down. I have my horn and sometimes I have to put my horn down. Somebody, sometimes people break my horn mm. and I have to kind of get it repaired or I have to put it back on. I think it, I think it's a, it's a weight to be always the unapologetically black unicorn. Mm. It's important. You know, I want people to be, you be you, you be you, you go be you. I want that. And I also want people to have the self-care that they need while they're out there doing that unapologetic um, black unicorn work. There, there are two lines that, well, I like the whole thing. I love the last line. The moment she stopped telling the truth, that's when she was truly crazy. I just, I know people have to read the whole thing. I just went there because there's another part that was like, you weren't crazy till you had to show up places where people expected you to be crazy. Do I have that right? You tell me, you tell me. Well, so, so the poem, she wasn't crazy, which is like, she wasn't crazy, but the world had a way of making her feel so. You try being a black goth girl in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Anyways, there's a story that I tell through this about not feeling crazy, but everyone telling me that. And that when I went to my first, when I was first hospitalized as like a 13 year old, how I was stripped down like an animal, how they took my shoelaces. I felt, I was like, oh, I guess I did something wrong. Why am I being treated like this? So I felt pretty crazy then. Um, and so I, I talk about how, when I left this psych ward for kids, how I made this paper mache mask of glitter and joy to make everyone feel comfortable. And that's the moment I stopped telling the truth. That's when I was truly crazy. And the idea is like crazy is such a horrible word that's used to us. And I'm trying to flip it on its head to say like, I wasn't broken. There was, I was in pain. And what, what happened was people were so uncomfortable with my pain. They said, please stuff it down. Or, you know, like whatever they wanted me to do was not talk about it. So what I ended up doing was stuffing it down real far until it popped up really loudly, like 10 years later. Um, and you can stuff stuff down for a long time. That's the thing about this, you know, but um, I think what I'm trying to do is really say like, I just needed someone to listen and to say like, mm -hmm. wow, you losing your grandmother, who was your matriarch, who was raising you, who was your whole like support system, who saw you while you're living in the segregated South, being a black goth girl, going into a white private school and living in a black neighborhood and not fitting in anywhere. When your grandmother who saw you was like, oh yeah, cool. You're goth, cool. I totally accept you. When that person is gone, there was something about that that was like, what do I have? Why am I here? And everyone's like, oh my God, please don't talk about that. As opposed to like, wow, you really lost a really important person. Let's talk about, I don't know, coping skills. How do you grieve? None of that. It was like, please stop talking about this. Let's lock you up. And I think that's, you know, I mean, that's some of the impetus behind the book is, we've been too patient is some of our traumatic experiences, but also like, how do we heal? What does it look like? And so, yeah, yeah I'm curious for you, if you ever had that, like, 
she wasn't crazy moments. Girl, please. <laughs> if, pe- if people could see my face right now, they would know I am making a face that is like, oh, and please, yes. It's kind of funny because when I moved from Ohio out to California, I had to get a new provider and I waited. I, I waited to get a new psychologist, psychiatrist. I just kind of waited because I thought, oh, I'm doing okay, you know? Um, and then I wasn't doing okay. It was like, okay, no, you are not doing okay. And, you know, I called my insurance company. They sent me to, you know, the whatever was in the uh, plan. And when I sh- showed up, I said, um, I am not doing well at all. Um, I, I don't have a provider here. I don't have a therapist here, anybody to talk to. I'm, I'm really afraid of what I might do to myself, not, not to, you know, to myself. And so, and I said, you know, I prefer to have somebody who has a PhD, you know, I don't want anybody who's kind of like in their residency, you know, I didn't want any, I just, I don't want an intern. I want somebody who's like got their PhD. They're ready to go. They've been doing this work. Let's go. Cause it's deep at the moment. And <laughs> somebody says, bless their hearts. They tried, just bless their hearts. Oh, no. Oh, As they no. hooked me up with the black woman who was a provider in that particular, uh, in that particular group. And she was um, doing one of her, she was doing her internship as an MSW. So that's who they gave me. And I think, you know, as I say, bless they hearts, Ooh, they were child. trying to hook me up with a black woman. Yeah. So I'm going to give them, you know, check mark. Yeah. You, you thought, okay, black woman, black, black woman, woman, maybe this will be helpful. This. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, you know, no, no problem. I'm going to give them the check mark there. The rest of it was like, no, no good. You didn't listen to anything I said. And I'll never forget the woman told me, oh, you're fine. You don't want to be ill as a black person. You are fine. Um, this is not as bad as you think it is. You'll be fine. You know, I left that office. <laughs> I left the office, came what back the out to the, oh yeah, it was. On, on, and then there's this, you know, what happened was she got protective she got protective. You don't want this because it's going to be an added oh. burden if you end up in the system in this way. That's what she was saying. Kind of not the right time to be saying it. Thank you very much. When I'm not. trying to figure out like not how to continue on to the next day, but trying to figure out how to continue on to the next day. So I uh, went back to the front desk and I said, oh no, I will not be seeing her again. And I would like to see somebody else who has a PhD and I do need to see them tomorrow and you will not be charging me for that visit. So you know what? I'm showing up as like, no, I'm gonna, I'm horrible. I'm like in this horrible space, but I'm able to like- Advocate. Like advocate and make these demands. And they were like, oh, sure, yeah, right. And so they hooked me up with this, person the next day and it was a white guy and uh he did exactly what you see he listened and yeah. and he would he he could sit with the discomfort which i so appreciate because i think this is this is the hard part about mental health and how we show up no matter where we show up is it's so uncomfortable for people to see or sit with whatever the experiences that we're having that it's better to shut it down shut mm-hmm. her down Mm-hmm. medicate that make that make the, oh please make, make that away. be quiet and go yeah. away <laughs> right and then we can deal with you it's like I don't want to be dealt with ew that is so wild Karis and like the fact that and it's it's deep on a deeper level that this black woman who saw you was like oh I don't even want you in this system like what what you did was not helpful but what does that say about a system when you were like I don't even want you in here like you can't even get this label you fine go home it's gonna like that's that is super deep it's so interesting because um um I also had a black psychiatrist the first time I saw a black psychiatrist not by choice it just happened he was a black psychiatrist when I showed up 
<laughs> and um, this was earlier on. This was before I moved out to California. It was on the East Coast um, in the D.C. area. And when he when he saw me and, you know, it was clear I was having some struggles at work and I was in a management training program because I don't understand why you're in that program. You should be a secretary like all the other ladies. <laughs> I thought, well, I just, no. <laughs> oh, like, okay. uh, wait, what just happened? I should do what? And I was like, OK, let me see how I can get out of this appointment and never come back and see this person. So it's really, really interesting. So, um, you know, as a black person, there thought there were things kind of going on as, you know, somebody seeing me as a woman and thinking, oh, these are, you know, yeah, no wonder you're stressed. Look at you trying to be in a management program and you should just be a secretary. That would reduce your stress. Oh and I'm like, that is so problematic. Oh, child. Yeah, so problematic. So let me ask you some other questions sure. um, around, um, well, they're not really questions. It's stuff that we've always talked about. And I think we're at this, you know, really, really critical time right now with Black Lives Movement and, um, quote unquote, defund the police and the role of the police in anything, especially related to Black and brown people. Like, what do you think about where we are in the intersection of black and brown um, voices leading or being involved in the consumer movement. Like, are we any further along or we still got work to do? What work is that that we have left to do? You know, that's such a good question. Um, over, Over the spring, and I interviewed you for this, but I wrote this piece. It's called Black This Whole Time, The Black Lives Matter Era and the Urgency for Black Liberation Within the Mad Pride Movement. And really the goal of this piece was really to talk about like where we can go. And I interviewed wonderful humans like Celia Brown, Vanessa Jackson, Elle Harris, Janae Darden, so many really good people. But essentially I was trying to understand where the MAD movement, the consumer movement could do more around the Black Lives Matter movement. And why is there, because I was feeling like there is this disconnect and what, what is this disconnect and what is that about? And so I think, you know, Celia Brown said it really well. um, And she's an amazing advocate out of New York. But she said, you know, when we first came to this mental health movement, we were not talking like about, I mean, it's a mostly white movement then consumer movement. And we were not talking about race. We were talking about like, I have experienced trauma in the system. You have experienced trauma in the system. And we're going to talk about mental health and our rights, but we were not talking about race and, and culture and how that shows up. And so there is, there's a long way we need to go, but this group had so many really good advice for basically consumers to be more inclusive. And one of the big things was, and I've, I've been holding healing spaces for black employees for the last year, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So in response to, you know, the ongoing racialized violence towards black people, some and some folks have, you know, wanted healing spaces. And the thing I hear the most is listen, and people always want an actionable thing to do. They're like, what is this urgent thing we can do? And I'm like, you need to listen to the stories and the needs of the black community. Be and not center yourself in it. Like, don't react to it. Don't make it about yourself. And really listen and acknowledge that it is emotional labor to share. Because some of the things that have happened is that people will say, okay, well, we will have a focus group and we'll hear all these needs. And Black people have been hit up for years about what are the needs in the community? We'll do a needs assessment. And I, I got to tell you, the needs are the same. Like, we know the needs. We know what we need. We know we need culturally responsive services. We don't want to have 
law enforcement called when we're in a mental health crisis, because I, if I make a call, I'm going to choose between possibly someone's life ending or they're getting mental health treatment. That should never be a question. And it is, it is a question. So Mm -hmm. I think there's like, actually slow down and listen to what they've been saying Mm -hmm. for years and educate yourself, but don't expect, unless someone's getting paid to educate you, your, your black friend from high school, college, wherever (laughs) to suddenly lead like an anti-racism training for you. Yeah. There are people that can do that. But I think there's been, I think there's Yolo Achilles says this really well. There's this whole conversation we have about like, I'm not racist or I'm, I'm the good one or I'm whatever. And he says something like, we need to move from, is this person racist into how is racism and other isms, because he says like, we live in a racist, sexist, transphobic, misogynistic society. So how are those isms showing up in our behavior? And that includes me, right? Like, how is that showing up in my behavior? And how do we correct the behavior? Because people get so defensive and all up in their feelings that we can't even have a conversation. And then the whole thing is shut down because someone's feelings got hurt as opposed to, oh, man, wow, I do wait at the last minute to invite all these Black people to a conference. Um, Whoa, how is this showing up in my behavior? Okay, maybe I need to do that. And then how am I centering the experience of Black people and and having them lead and make decisions. That's a big thing, like decision making. Mm-hmm. So not you're, and I've been in the situation where I get asked to be on an advisory committee and I'm the only one there. And I'm like, oh, am I going to speak on all, behalf of all black people? I'm a black goth girl from New York and Georgia. We don't all agree with each other. Why would you? And then I'm like, sorry, all white people don't never, agree with each other. What? Nobody <laughs> agrees with each other, but oh, Kalechi, she's going to have the answer for all of us. Oh no. That yes. just puts me in a situation to lose. And so mm. what do your boards look like? What do your, who are your decision makers? Who's at the top making those leadership choices? What is the conversation happening around your organization about you? How are you intentionally yeah. partnering with people? And like, I don't know, that's, I, I just feel like that's what solidarity is. It's not you're going to mess up. You have to be intentional. Like people are so afraid of doing wrong or making them, you're going to make a mistake. Just, right. you know, own it and keep moving as opposed to it's mm-hmm. got to be perfect or we're not doing it at all. And that's what I've seen a lot. So we're not there in the consumer movement. We have to do more and we're not all on the same page, but I think, I think there's an opportunity for this consumer movement and the black liberation movements to intersect. We, we have the same, we don't want BIPOC folks getting killed by law enforcement during a mental health crisis. We have those same beliefs, but we need to be co-educating. Some of the BLM people think like, Oh, we'll just have, you know, maybe forced treatment is fine. Or like, they don't really know the history that the consumer movement knows. We may not know all of the policies and practices and like that they know, like, I think we could come together and like co-learn and coalesce. Cause like we could get better about tactical organizing like them. Like, we got, Hey, tell us, tell us how you shut stuff down, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so powerful because, you know, when the black life movement, you know, talks about the role of the police and police interactions, where does that fit when we're having conversations about the intersection of mental health, race and police response. And then it's like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about the needs of people in in crisis, however one may want to define that crisis that needs, that has a greater need than maybe what's available in the community. Um, That's one thing about, I just said, available in the community. How do we make it available in the Mm -hmm. community, whatever that it is? 
Like it's a tough conversation and we all are going to be touching that conversation from different sides and different perspectives. And we can't be judgmental about where each of us are in the conversation, but work our way forward to nobody wants to be coerced to do anything. I don't want to be coerced to have to go to the DMV, but I got to go to the DMV. Okay, but now maybe I can do it online. So things are a little bit better, but I still have to do it. I still mm-hmm. have to do it within a p- period of time. Of course, it's not life or death if I don't have my driver's license. Well, might be, but it's not. But um, I think um, one of the things that, you know, I've been thinking about related to like Black Lives Movement and mental health is how some things feel oxymoronic around the rights thing. So, you know, I have a right to health. I have a right to live in the community. I have a right for all of these things. But if I have a mental health condition, suddenly my rights can be taken away if there is a belief that, you know, um, I need the type of care that it has to be adjudicated, right? So, but, and that just feels kind of oxymoronic to like Black freedom. It just, it just does to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, I think people are whole. I don't see them as broken. I think it's like, how do you return to your whole self? Or maybe you're in altered state, but I do think folks know what they need. And there are so many steps before a crisis. That's, I mean, that's always been my thing. There, people don't just show up in a crisis. Typically, it's not like, oh, I'm in a crisis. There were, there were like so many steps before then. And how do you get in? How do you get in? Do you even have a peer rest? But do you have a place to go before it escalates? And when it does escalate, do you have a place to heal? Because some of these places are terrifying. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, oh my goodness! Like one of you know, one of my dear friends is is currently just in a you know in a situation where we are all coming together as a community to fund really good mental health for them, and they have insurance. But mm-hmm. to, in order for them to be safely in a place that's helpful we got to pay out of pocket. And so I think it's like, how do we change the narrative about choice wherever you're at? Even if you, even if someone believes you're not all there, I always think someone's there and maybe I don't understand what they're saying, but they know their story. So I just, I just really believe we already have the answers. I don't, I just don't think we're listening. And there were a lot of steps before someone was like, Oh, I need help. There were so many steps before. So I still, and I think we need to have radical reimagination. Like, why is it always to be what it used to be? Why can't we bring in colors and murals and like beautiful places and music? Like what actually makes you feel good? Let's build that and like get that funded. Cause like, did you say radical reimagination? Did I just hear you say that? I said that. (laughs) Okay. We're loving it. We're loving it. I'm, I'm on board. Let's radically reimagine this thing and get it up and running. Um, And I think that's also what it's going to take, you know, from the policy perspective, because a lot of times we've backed ourselves into this corner because policies uh, handcuff us for lack of a better way of putting it. That's really you know, kind of an interesting word, but mm-hmm. kind of handcuff, handcuff us into, you know, providers doing things a certain way, systems accepting things a certain way. Um, and the question becomes, okay, where's the lever? If we're going to radically reimagine the lever might be some policy sitting somewhere, you know, that we hadn't really thought about. You are so right. And you know, the best providers I've met they are doing things off the book. They're trying to move around, trying to, I'm like, why you got to do, you have to do all this to do your actual job to help someone. Because if you did it on the books, ooh, it would be bad. Yes. So I'm like, why do we need to make it so hard for people to do the thing that they intuitively know what helps someone? Right. Like, let's remove that. And why they got in the in this business in the first place. I don't know anybody who says, yeah, I got into psychiatry because I want to lock people up and then force treat them with medication. 
Yeah, like I really haven't heard that as one of their kind of like career goals. That was not a career goal, uh, but it's what they end up doing. And you know, they're using you know, I'm hearing psychiatrists use terms like, um, um, you know, that their medication pad has now become like their iPad is that's their medication pad, and that's not what they that's not what they wanted to do either. Even as um, psychiatrists that have the MD, um, that's that's really not why they got into the business of the business. So I, I'm glad to hear that from the profession. This is not how they envisioned their work. I think we could all radically reimagine what that is and um, move towards. Um, I think you used a word, joy. Yes, uh, joy. <laughs> talk to me about some joy. Oh, I mean. I will say I've been holding these these spaces for Black folks for the last year to like really come and process how they're feeling. And we talk about Black joy in there because I, you know, we can always talk about our pain and we need space for that. But how do we re-energize ourselves? And I mean, at one point, I mean, this is all on Zoom. I, I had us do the wobble on Zoom, which I got to tell you the whole <laughs> people were really dancing on zoom i was like oh okay, so yeah. i'm a little old okay imagine, i think i know what it is i know it's a dance right it's a, da- it's a dance so imagine like the okay. electric slide got re-energized and just okay. had a little bit more pop to it so okay. yeah so you know it's typical like you're stepping forward you're stepping back you oh it's this one yeah oh my gosh we're actually dancing oh right my god um, we have unapologetically black unicorns wobbling at the we, moment we have wobbled we have collectively we have wobbled, wobbled. We, we came we talked we wobbled <laughs> right that's the whole thing because we're we're more than our pain we are like so ah uh, there's so much joy there's so much silliness there's so much like Ah, there's just so much beauty. And I think we just also need to create as much time to celebrate that. That's what gets me through. I'm not like, let me look at the news for 10 hours. I'm like, where's my black joy? Where's my nerd stuff? Where's my, you know, where is all my things to re-energize myself? That's what's keeping me. That's what's keeping me here. Well, I don't know that I can even top that with me and my Mickey Mouse ears on my head at the moment. I'm trying to uh, really just soak up my black joy and share it with you and you have shared it now with everybody else and thank you so so much for having this conversation and you keep on being you you be you right i will you be you paris you be you so thank you for being such an unapologetically black unicorn and i'm looking forward to folks joining us next week so thanks so much clutchy well thank you paris keep on wobbling and now look up the song and dance to it That is like, that's a challenge. That is is a a challenge challenge. I am going to take to have more Black joy. (laughs) 